doing the last half of uh, uh, last semester is that we're really talking about prophets. And the idea is not as much of the history as much as what we learn from the prophets, both in terms of what prophets do and, uh, and our job in terms of following them. And as it turns out, the prophet Elisha that we're going to look at today is a great example of not just being a prophet, but following a prophet. And, and there are a number of great things that go around with this. Um, now, with, with uh, Elisha then, we're going to find actually six keys today to following the prophet. There are probably more, but these are the ones that we're looking at today as, as demonstrated by the prophet Elisha. Uh, it is fascinating to me, by the way, that, uh, what's that? Okay. Yesterday, this, the uh, Sunday school teacher said, and I can't remember which way was which, but Elisha was a title. Elijah, oh, Elias. Elias. Okay. Elias, he said, was a title. Is also a person. Okay. He's trying to say there was no such person as Elias. Yeah, I was in that class. And, yeah, a little false doctrine things that creeps out. There's no such person as Elias. Yes, there was, but it was also a title given to a number of people as well. So you try not to contradict a teacher. So determined. I sit through a lot of classes. Okay, so Elisha uh, on this. Yeah, it, it is funny that Elijah is the great prophet. Elijah is the one that holds the keys. Elijah is the one revered by Muslims and Christians and Jews as the great prophet. Elijah is the one that brings back the sealing power. It's the spirit of Elijah that we get when we're doing temple work. And Elisha doubled the amount of uh, miracles and the amount of things. He had a much longer, much more powerful, on the surface, uh, ministry out there. Uh, and, and Elijah is the one with the keys. So fascinating how that works. Because so trying so I know I'm aware with Elisha how much I'm leaving out of this what this wonderful man did and what he what he accomplished. Uh, so I'm, that's why I'm trying to bring it down to about six major points. So the first one we're going to talk about is I will not leave thee. So let's go to uh, let's go back to Second Kings and we looked at this uh, last time, but I wanted to emphasize. Uh, another piece to this. Remember, Elijah is still alive, and he is called Elisha now to be kind of the prophet elect. You know, he's the prophet in waiting, and so he's now being taught and mentored by Elijah, and he's and he's with him, and he's learning. Uh, he's taking all of this on, and then Elijah. Look at verse two. Elijah says to Elisha, "Tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord has sent me to Bethel." So I've got to go on it. I've got to go out to a state conference in Bethel. I'm going to go do some things out there. I'll be back. Okay. And Elisha says unto him, As the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will swear on the Lord and I'm going to swear on your soul. I will not leave thee. He's all, remember, he's already been designated. The mantle has touched him. You're going to be the next prophet. He doesn't have to go to Bethel. But as the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. Okay? Now, uh, verse 4. 
Uh, Elijah says to Elisha, Terry, here I pray thee, the Lord has sent me to Jericho. I have another state conference to go to. I've got to go you know, carrying out my prophet duties. I'm going to run out to Jericho for a while. I'll be back on Monday. It's just for the weekend. Coming back. And Elisha says, as the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And so they go to Jericho together. And then we're going to get in 6, the same thing. I'm going to Jordan. Well, you know what? I know what you're going to say. You're right. <laughs> As the Lord liveth and thy soul liveth, I'm not going to leave you. Now, I think, now in the, in the soul of a prophet and in the soul of Elisha, why is he, is he, why is he so adamant about not leaving Elijah? What's the deal here? Yes, absolutely. Wherever he's going to go, I, I'm going to go right with you. Okay? Why else, do you think? In verse 3, it's that, I don't know if I'm reading it right. Yeah. That people ask him, do you know that... One of these days he's about to be taken. Yes. So I, I. So in other words, uh, we had a good quote from Brigham Young. And Brigham Young said, uh, after we were in the valley, he said, uh, I thank God that I knew Joseph Smith. He said, I would give up sleep. I would give up eating. I would give up anything just to hear him preach. Wow. And Brigham Young did. Yeah. Yeah, he might miss out on the double portion. And it's interesting at this point, so, so here's another meaning then of that, what would that double portion be for Elisha? I don't want to miss any moment of my time remaining with Elijah. I will, I will sacrifice anything I can to be with him where he's going, learn at his feet, and be taught by a prophet. Now, let, 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 me, let me bring this to current time. The, the question, I guess, for us is, in these days, what does it mean for us to follow a prophet? Sometimes literally. But what does it mean? And, 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 we need to follow his counsel. Stay close to his teachings. Yeah, and, and literally, kind of symbolically, we're going to stay very close to his teaching. Okay. Now, let, let, let me make it a little bit more pointed into the discussions that are going on currently in the church. Okay? And, and that is, the question is about where, where is the line between using our free agency and, and where is the line between following blindly everything the prophets say? For instance, when I was growing up, uh, it was... Uh, we were taught very specifically, you, you never drink caffeinated drinks. You never play with face cards, ever. Uh, remember the, the council on how many sets of earrings to wear. And you always wear white shirts when you pass the sacrament or the things that you do, okay? 
Now, how many of those things, caffeine, face cards, uh, white shirts, earrings, would you find in the scriptures? How many of them do you find in the handbook of instructions? So in some cases we had a prophet that, oh, and also when we were in school it, it was like, have as many kids as you can as fast as you can, that's your job. Now, some of which, and here's the, here's the world in which we live in now, we're looking at it and say, well some of these things were obviously a prophet's um, opinion that they then taught that everybody should do those. So what do so that there's the where's the line then between saying what is a prophet's uh, pr preferences versus what is a oh thank you prophet's preferences versus following the prophet exactly and that's our job and we'll go to hell if we don't where where's the line between free agency and being a sheeple those outside the church are just accusing us of being sheeple because we just blindly follow. Did the prophets really say you're going to wear a white shirt when you pass the sacrament? Did the prophet really yeah. say? Prophet I mean that that was that, that was being taught pretty heavily that that's that's the way it should be. But it was actually a prophet, or was it said it, or was it the leaders that said it? Okay, so maybe that's just maybe that's just the leader. Somebody comes to a general conference. It was in the incident. It was a general conference. Okay. Like the same thing is true with Brigham Young. He taught the young women to retrench, which was stop having so much lace and so many ruffles and so much yes. body dog. Right, 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 right. Do, do you remember the moment, just, and we had one of those just a few years ago, do you remember that we had the young men's, young women's leader who said, for what? For keep your kids off of MySpace and Facebook. Don't go there. It is a den of iniquity. And on the other side, we had the missionary department going, "Go to Facebook." <laughs> okay. So where are we following the prophet, and where where is the preference? Yeah. Yes. And now they're missionaries in Facebook. So, so here's what happens. So the discussion is, well, as we look at the history of the church, how do we know what's being taught was just a preference and it's going to change next year? So was it really inspired or just a preference? And so that means, how do we know what they're now teaching they won't change next year? And the scriptures tell us to, we don't have to be compelled all things. Right. Right. And let them govern themselves. We don't have the law of Moses anymore where we're told exactly how many steps to take. And so it's up to us to look at the principle right. that's being taught and how we implement those specifics within the principle. Okay. And in a sense, this is kind of like with Elisha saying, I don't have to go to Jericho, but I, I'm, I'm going to go regardless. Okay. But aren't we not using our free agency? To do what? In choosing to follow the prophet? Okay. And should we be following then every little preference? I think that's why we all each have a different way of Okay. All right. To know which one of the prophet's things we should follow and which ones we shouldn't? <laughs> but, what, but what's a preference? Yeah. I mean, it could be 
Even on every little thing, even on things like earrings and white shirts and yes, and face and face cards. Okay, we're getting there. Uh, is he speaking as a prophet? Well, uh, well, exactly. So how do I know that that's what he meant on caffeinated drinks and stuff like that, which turned out to be a little okay. What? Uh, Well, exactly. So, so when the prophet is speaking, how do I know which ones to follow and which ones are just kind of his preference? <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Say that again. And not worry about whether it's preference or anything. Just follow. Does that make us a sheeple? Now, if you pray about it, yeah. You talk about blind obedience, and one of the definitions of blind is just without sight, it's without understanding. Yes. I think that the idea behind it is are we following without understanding? Are we following without having a testimony that this man is a prophet and that he's never led me astray before? So even if I don't perfectly understand this, I have a testimony of his. So, so our testimony may be in the prophet, even if we don't necessarily have a testimony of. What, what, what he's asking us to do, but because I believe he's a prophet, I'm going to be willing to follow wherever he goes. Right, because we were talking about both of us yes. second hearings and had to pull him out, and it's like, I'm a good person with or without the hearing. But for me, it was, I'm learning to follow the prophet even when I... Even regardless. Yeah. Okay. So if, so if I'm following the prophet, if I have a testimony that he is the prophet... I can follow what he says regardless if I don't necessarily have an idea whether white shirts or caffeinated drinks were necessarily inspiration or policy, but I have a testimony that he's a prophet, so I'm going to follow him. Even if I don't have to go to Jericho, I'm going to go to Jericho anyway. I don't know if you're getting there, but in that I hope so. <laughs> Yes. The operations of the church. If we can handle the little things or the little caffeine or whatever comes up. Yes. Yes. Because okay, exactly. Here's the here's the concern. Here's the concern. The moment that we begin to take a prophet's words and make a buffet out of it. And we say, I'm going to choose this and I'm not going to choose that. And I'm going to do this and I'm not going to do that. We put ourselves in a very dangerous position, I think. And so, so let me ask you, what was the harm if it turned out that more than two sets of earrings was, was we were asked not to do that? What's the harm if you did it following and then it turns out to be it was a policy and they change it later? What were you learning? Obedience. Obedience. Yeah. So again, the minute that we make the prophet's words a buffet and we're going to start picking and choosing, it's a dangerous path that we're walking on. As opposed to say, I remember as a brand new missionary, one of the counsel that I got from uh, uh, an older missionary who said to me, uh, Elder Hinckley, here's what I figured out. 
Whatever the mission president says, I'm going to do it. Period. Even if it doesn't make any sense to me, if he's if he just says it as a suggestion, a re recommendation, or an idea, if he says pray for seven and a half minutes, I will pray for seven and a half minutes. Because my mission president, I have a testimony, he's the mission president, and if he suggests it, I will do it. Is that blind? I don't think so. Not if you have a testimony in, in that. Yeah. That makes me think of Ephraim Hanks. And when Brigham Young asked him to shave, yeah. the beard had nothing to do with anything right. as far as righteousness goes. It had something to do with his level. Oh, beards are another example in the oh, church right now, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> okay, come back. Yeah. Peter, and then over here. Yes. Yes. See, isn't that what makes us cult-like? Because we're just going to blindly follow the leaders and wherever they're telling us to do that. And you're right, it's a very natural man and they and that's where they start freaking out on us. Yeah. It's also a huge, huge lesson that we're supposed to be learning along with obedience is not judging. When those things do change, yes. and you're so set in your mindset that you're not willing to change in your head and you're judging other people that it's okay. Yeah. When you don't uh, follow that. Yes. I know. And that, that's why I say this idea of following means I'm going to follow. I make a decision that says if I have a prof, if I have testimony of a prophet, no matter what he suggests, I'm not going to spend a lot of time trying to figure out whether it's preference or information. It's coming from a man that I revere as a prophet and it's not blind to follow. Yeah. Yesterday. Regular proactive obedience is anything but weak or passive. We're not obedient because we're blind. We're obedient because we can see. When we choose to obey, we accept the Savior. So, read that one again, a little louder. Um, great, great. Cool. Proactive obedience is anything but weak or passive. We are not obedient because we are blind. We are obedient because we can see. When we choose to obey, we accept the Savior. Yeah. And I don't know if he's quoting someone else or if this was him or I was trying to do it with my finger. <laughs> See, when we have made that decision, everything else becomes easier. For, for me, for instance, when the, again, Joseph Smith at the moment has probably never been under more attack than he is at the moment from our history. When I, when I believe that he is a prophet, I also believe that the things that came through him uh, we're, we're mostly inspired. Sometimes we wonder a little bit, but I'm going to err on the side of saying, if I believe that this man is a prophet, then he gets the he gets the margin of error with me. Okay, if there's ever a question, yeah. Forgive me for sharing a personal experience, but I feel like I should. Um, it's not just the prophet that we're supposed to obey; it's our bishops, and I just have yep. an experience with this. Um, since a couple of years ago, my thinking and 
prophet it's following his servants and, and and following that same line okay so we're going to get so here's here's a like here's elisha following because laura you, you've, you've set us up well for where we're going okay, okay. Uh, now let's hop over here, here's, here's prophet principle number two we are to stand as a witness of prophets in all places that we might be in. Okay, so go over to 2 Kings 5. Now, I have to tell you that I use this, I use this chapter uh, in my counseling practice uh, just about every day. Uh, it's the one that when I work with somebody with a pornography problem, this is, this is the chapter that I draw on. This is when I put a program together for fighting uh, pornography, I called it the Naaman Project. Because I see all of the brethren in the church that are active and struggling with pornography, I see them as Naamans. Not Laymans, that's a different guy. They are Naamans. And, and you'll see why here. Because uh, we have this great experience now. We're going to get Naaman, uh, captain of the host of the king of Syria. Now, he's going to be described in three ways. 
Naaman was a great man. He is a honorable man, and he is a mighty man of valor. Great man, mighty man of valor. Good guy. Oh, and by the way, he's got a problem, and that is leprosy. He has a disease that he can't get rid of on his own. That's why it's a pornography thing for me. These are good men, mighty men of valor. They strive to do the right thing and they have a disease that they cannot get rid of on their own with just pure sheer willpower and read the scriptures enough and pray enough and it will go away just that way. Which is sometimes hard for for wives and, and people to say, well, I thought he was a good guy and now it turns out he's a bad guy. No, he is everything you thought he was. And he's got this thing that he's struggling with that he can't get rid of on his own. He's a Naaman. Sometimes the brethren themselves, because they go through some, uh, so much self-loathing about the fact that they are looking at pornography and it's so at odds with what they hear in from their brethren and all of that, and they just beat themselves up, and the self-loathing for these brethren is horrible. I thought I was a good guy, and apparently I'm a schmuck. I say, no, let's, let's open up uh, 2 Kings 5, and I want you to know that you're a mighty man of valor. And you have a disease uh, almost comparable to leprosy. You can't get rid of it on your own. Now, so with that as a backdrop, here comes item number two. The Syrians had gone out in companies. Remember, the Syrians, they, they've kind of taken over Lebanon. That's, that's part of Syria at the moment. They're up there and they're just north of Israel in, in what is now Lebanon. And they had raiding parties that were coming down out of Syria and attacking Samaria, where the ten tribes were. And this is actually Ephraim up here. Okay. Alright, so they're in there. The Syrians gone out by companies, verse 2, and have brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid. And she waited on his wife. So we get, so they have gone in a raiding party down into Samaria and they captured a little girl and tore her away from her family. And now, instead of growing up a normal childhood in Israel, she's acting as a servant to the wife of Naaman. Think she's got a reason to be bitter? Think she misses her family? Think she might be upset about the fact that she was growing up normally and now she doesn't get to see her family anymore? Look at what she does. She says unto his wife, when she knows about uh, Naaman's leprosy. Would God, my Lord, Naaman, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, he would recover him of his leprosy. Now that's kind of remarkable. If, if you're her, isn't there a side of you that goes, I hope he rots. <laughs> He's done this thing to me. I don't get to see my family. Good. He got leprosy. I hope it's painful. It's what he deserves for stealing kids from Israel. 
Would she be justified in doing that? Mm-hmm. Yep, I know. And and it's, but instead, she's about to tell him two things. First of all, she's she's telling the wife, who then tell Naaman, there is a prophet in Samaria, meaning there is a prophet of God in Samaria. She's actually testifying both of God, Jehovah, and there is one of his prophets in Samaria. But you don't get to see him because you're a Baal worshiper. (laughs) Rock. No, she says there's a prophet in Samaria for he would recover him of his leprosy. So this man that stole me from my family, I believe that if he would go see the prophet in Samaria, Elisha, he will heal him. Well, that's pretty remarkable, isn't it? Where are we supposed to stand witnesses of a prophet? In all places, including who? Our enemies. And including, especially, we are to bear witness of a prophet to those that have done us wrong. That's, to me, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. It's the turning of the other cheek. Yeah, it's not just turning another cheek, but it's like, let me figure out a way to bless your life, even though you have hurt me. To me, this is a great lesson in forgiveness, and it's coming from a child. Makes you wonder if, if, if this were happening to mom down there, would mom have a harder time saying, you stole my daughter. I hope you'll go to Elisha and get healed. But that's lesson number two, is that we are to be witnesses of a prophet in all places we may be in, and sometimes that's going to be to our enemies, and sometimes that's going to be to people that have done us wrong. In our heart, do we have the ability that somebody that's maybe bullied our child or has led one of our kids astray or has hurt us in some way to go to them and say, I hope you find a prophet who will heal you? That's a tough one. It's easier to go to somebody who's been nice to us. Gee, you've been nice, let me tell you about prophets. It's another thing to go to somebody who's hurt us and say, there's a way for you to feel better in spite of what you've done. Wow. Tough. She must have been taught well Must have. Must have. Okay, now, I like this one. So we have this great story. So uh, if he will go and, and, and there's enough belief there that wife talks to Naaman, Naaman talks to his king, king's going to talk to the king of Israel, say, would it be okay if I sent my guy down to Elisha? That'd be, can I just shuttle him down there? <laughs> and and you've and you got to love the, the king of Syria, and I think to a certain extent the king of Israel are saying, we're the kings, we're supposed to do the healing. Because look at the uh, king of Israel's response. Verse 7. And it came to pass when the king of Israel had read the letter, he rent his clothes, he starts ripping them up, am I God to kill? I don't know how to heal Naaman. 
He wants me to somehow heal this guy? I'm wicked. I'm not God. I'm, in fact, I'm kind of far from him at the moment. Am I God to kill and make alive that this man does send me to recover a man of his leprosy? I have no idea. Uh, but Elisha gets wind of this. Now, I, this is one that I really should have thrown in as, a, as another principle. But boy, I just think it's golden. When it's so, verse 8, Elisha, the man of God, heard the king of Israel had rent his clothes. Oh, that's too bad. Okay. And he sent unto the king, saying, How come you're renting your clothes? Now, let him come unto me, and I will heal him of his leprosy. No. What is he saying? I have a goal for Naaman, and it's what? He will know that there is a prophet uh, in Israel, meaning he will know that this is a prophet of Jehovah, meaning that by knowing that there is a prophet, he will know there is God in Israel. Now, you guys know the story. Does that work? Does Naaman walk away from this encounter believing in Jehovah? Yes. He becomes converted. In fact, he will take some of the dirt from Elisha's place and go make an altar to Jehovah back in. And that's going to come up in just a second. Who I think we have another instance with Naaman here. It works. But for but what one of the things that prophets do in the work that they do, they see not the immediate problem, but they also see the greater the greater need. Let me give you an example. With, with, uh, with the Savior on when He fed the 5,000, what was the real thing He was trying to accomplish? Was it all about providing lunch? It was not about the lunch. It was what? It was about the miracle that would? Prove that he was, yes. It was about bringing them to Him. It wasn't about the lunch. For the people... It was about the lunch. We don't see the bigger thing. We just see the immediate problem. A prophet sees the bigger goal and says, I will take care of the immediate problem as a way to get you to the greater thing I'm trying to teach you. For Elisha, this wasn't about leprosy. For Elisha, this was claiming a soul and bringing Naaman to Christ. Bringing him to Jehovah. But for Naaman, or for Naaman, this was about leprosy. I just want to get healed. I don't want to look hideous and have everybody run for me. Yeah. It is, and and that's what we're about to find out here next. Right. What do you mean, put away my face cards? What do you mean about removing earrings from my ears? That, that seems kind of trivial. I don't believe God's going to keep me out of heaven because I have three sets of earrings. I, ha I don't know that I can believe in a God that will keep me out of heaven because I drink tea. That is so stupid. 
I just don't think that's the way God works. That is not a loving God. That just because I enjoy coffee, that He's not going to let me into His kingdom. Yes. Yeah, and, and that's why we sometimes we end up making it a buffet. Saying, what do you mean the prophet says don't date till 16? He's kind of old, he doesn't remember. <laughs> or, what do you, I know the prophet said... Uh, don't date till you're 16, but my daughter is really kind of more mature. It, I can understand for some women, some girls in in my that are my MAs that are like they're more like you know 12 or 13, and they probably shouldn't date till they're 18. But my daughter is so much more mature; she can handle a boyfriend at 14. Plus, she'll get mad at me, and I'm going to have a hard time controlling it anyway. And I don't want to make her mad, because uh, then she'll probably like leave the church. And so I'm not going to hold her to that. Plus, I get that maybe 16 was a different thing in like 1914. When these guys were growing up. So that's where we get into the picking and choosing thing. And we start playing smorgasbord with the prophet's words. I think this is also a great example of how we think we know how our prayers are supposed to be answered. Oh yes, yeah, that's another good example. I know what I'm, what, how my pro, my prayer is supposed to turn out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I had a I had a sister on Saturday who was, was asking me. He's like, I need my son. Uh, I need I need <coughs> my son to be able to come back to the church. And I said, well, yes, but it's on his timetable and it's also on the Lord's table. Yeah, but I want it now. <laughs> okay, I get it. Yeah, we get there. We, you know, And it is this having a hard time trusting his timetable and trusting prophets. And we're going to talk about servants in a second. Okay? I know we got more comments, but we're rolling. Okay, now. Okay, so you're going to send Elisha. He says... Sending down here, I have a bigger goal. I will work with the leprosy here, but I want to claim uh, Naaman. And I want to teach him how faith works and how prophets work. Now, so so I I picture this. And it's like, so here comes Naaman, and he's the mighty man of valor. So obviously he's coming with his big entourage, and they're going to make the trek. They're going to go all the way from Syria and with a big show of force they're going to show up and Elisha's little hovel. You just picture that. uh, Chariots and people and probably trumpets and Naaman's here. Why? You know. And they show up at his doorstep and Elisha sends out a messenger. And, and the response of everybody else, including Naaman, would be what? That's right. Um, the President of the United States is knocking at your door. Yeah, send one of the kids. <laughs> President Monson's on the phone. Yeah, why don't we have my eight-year-old talk to him and find out what he wants? Okay. So, 
Naaman's showing up. He's wroth. And, 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 and the messenger says, um... And, and I, I have to tell you, I, I try, maybe I watch too many movies and stuff like that. But I picture, I picture this servant who turns out to be kind of li- lily-livered anyway. Believe it or not, he will actually end up in a moment with Naaman's leprosy because of some of his actions. But I, but I picture this guy almost like, here's this great prophet, and I almost picture this, this guy who's like almost like 14 and his voice is changing. <laughs> it is I, Naaman. And he goes, um. He says, go wash in the Jordan seven times and thy flesh will be clean. Sorry. <laughs> Naaman is now wroth and insulted and prideful. I'm not even seeing the head guy. This is like little servant dude. Don't you know who I am? He's wroth and he went away and he says, I thought, this is, we'll go, Barbara's back to what we're talking about with prayer. I had this way of how this healing will work. Okay? Surely he will come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, not my God, but hey, I'm a Baal worshiper so I absorb all gods just in case. That's what we do. Okay? He'll call on the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and heal the, uh, and recover the leper. I thought that's how it worked. That's how I pictured it. Now, and on top of that, have you seen the river we're talking about? The, ri- the, the river at this point in this part of Israel is silty and messy and muddy and kind of a yucky place. And, and I don't even know how deep it is. Yeah. Okay? And there are cows feeding on it up here somewhere. Okay? Are not Abana and Farfar, rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? You know, he's probably even wearing like a you know University of Syria t-shirt or something. I mean, just not, this is Israel. It's, it's beneath us. So, so let's step back for just a second now. So, why in the world would Elisha... This is a great missionary opportunity, isn't it? Why not like feed him dinner, take care of him, and then with great show, heal him, and then everybody will believe? Why send out a servant instead of coming out Elisha and doing it himself with a great show? And the missionary department would really like that approach probably better. Because if Elisha came out with great show and healed him, then Naaman's going to walk away saying, who healed me? Elisha. Elisha did. Mm-hmm. You're exactly right. As opposed to, it was servant guy who told me to do it, and I still got healed. Healings are pretty hard if we're not humble, are they? Because we still have our belief about the way things should work. Okay, now, let's back up here. So here comes, here's prophet principle number three. 
Whether by my own voice or the voice of my prophet or the voice of my servants, it is the same. It is amazing to me, as a uh, highly trained professional with years of professional experience, that in this church, uh, we're going to... uh, we're going to reach in and we're going to find, we need, we need a prophet in our ward. We need a new bishop. We need a man who can not only organize the, the organizations, but can also sit down with a 16-year-old with a pornography problem and heal your marriage. And give you counsel and guidance to somebody who is depressed and suicidal. We think we have an MBA, let's call him. We have a sales guy. Let's call him. How much counseling experience does he have? Uh, None. And we'll make him it. And so he's going to be set apart to be the bishop. So, So last week this guy is functioning as an accountant. We set him apart as a bishop and two hours later he's trying to heal a broken marriage. How do our bishops do in the church? Magnificently. (laughs) When the mantle falls, it falls. And suddenly we take sales guys and accountants uh, and business guys and suddenly they are speaking inspired words and and carrying out the work of a bishop. Only the Lord would do this. (laughs) Nobody else would. That's what I'm saying. He doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies those who are called. Yeah, and he qualifies the willing. Yeah. Yeah. It's just amazing to me. Now, that said, do bishops screw up? Yes. Do they make mistakes? They're like way human. You know, and and there is a number of cases in my office where I kind of go, oh, the bishop said what? Okay. And, and you watch them grow and you watch them learn and sometimes sometimes the, and in fact I, I called a bishop the other day and I said did you really say this to your, my client and he says yeah and I said can I give you some more background and I told him he goes oh I'm so sorry I shouldn't have said that let me call her back in and I will take care of that and I said thank you bishop that's been my experience every time with bishop when I get a chance to call and talk to them, I say, you may not completely understand this, this, and this, and this. And they go, oh, thank you. I didn't know. Let me take care of that. Now, part of this, though, is that some, so it's easier to say, I'm going to follow what a prophet says. What if we're saying follow what the bishop says? Ooh, isn't that harder? Isn't that harder to not do smorgasbord following with a bishop especially when you know you've known him for a long time and you know his kids and you talk to his wife a lot and you know the real story that's harder well it's also just like you know for for an awful lot of people on the earth it's easier to read the scriptures and believe what happened and what was said thousands of years ago oh yeah Maybe not so much, you know. 
yeah, it's a little bit too close and personal. Uh, I, I love the I love the Salt Lake uh, Tribune as kind of the uh, the local kind of anti Mormon magazine. <coughs> so, so, Tribune's been attacking the church since 1845. Um, uh, the Salt Lake Tribune is the one that when Brigham Young died said. Uh, Brigham Young dead, finally. <laughs> okay. Uh, and, and it's interesting to watch some of the conversations that happen within that. And they, and they try to be kind of, okay, we're going to sort of be fair and balanced here. But when it comes to kind of leadership and, and all those things, they really kind of struggle. And it, and it gives a voice. Sometimes you read the comments that are being said about leadership and how we do things in the church and it's obvious that they don't understand. It looks like Mormons are sheeple. Okay? Well, that's sometimes the opinion of those that don't completely understand what's what's going on. Now, so we get this one. Uh, so so Naaman, Naaman is kind of on his <coughs> high horse. He goes away in a rage. And and look at what the his servants that came with him. Look at what they look at what they're doing. Um, servants come near and speak unto Naaman and say, um, "My father," which gives you some idea about how they uh, they regard Naaman. My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? I picture one of them going, uh, my father, uh, you have leprosy. <laughs> Lest you forget. <laughs> People don't get well from leprosy. They die a lot. <laughs> and you drove all the way down here. Now, if you're going to get in a snit, you can drive back home and you'll still have leprosy. <laughs> you know? Now, by the way, if he had said to you, if Elisha had come out and said, if thou shalt crawl on thy hands and knees all the way to Egypt and back, thou shalt be cured of the leprosy. Would he have crawled to Egypt and back? He has leprosy. <laughs> Absolutely. And so part of the thing that Naaman was struggling with was... How simple it was. Well, that's stupid. How am I supposed to heal my marriage? Well, love her more. Wait. This is supposed to be harder. I want, I want to have some... No, just dip in the river seven times. In that river, yes. Okay. Wash, and thou shalt wash and be clean. So, somewhere in here, he's willing to take his pride and set it aside and go, okay, this sounds dumb. Yes, I don't completely understand it. Yes, it doesn't make any sense. Yes, the river's dirty. Yes, did we see Elisha? No, we got the whiny servant. Yes, and I'm going to do it anyway. The Lord wants you to serve in the nursery. I'm, I'm better than that. Doesn't make any sense. Isn't that what sustaining is all about? Sustaining our leaders, whether they be um, the general authority or our local leaders. Yeah. 
is to say we're not going to smorgasbord this thing. We're going to follow even on the stuff that feels a little bit absurd. Even if they are, even if they do make a mistake, that's something they get to yeah. be accountable for. But if we sustain them... Right. Um, yep. Yep, yep, yep. Okay, so... By the way, I do remember, I'm old enough to remember when uh, Ezra Taft Benson became prophet. <coughs> oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. This is the John Bircher. He's going to like, you know, do a witch hunt for all the communists in the church and throw them out and it will be bad and it will be awful. And there was like this great hue and cry when President Benson became prophet. Oh my goodness. This guy who had been in the Republican Eisenhower administration and he's just conservative and he's a wacko on communists and everything. What is he going to do to the church? And President Benson became prophet and he preached like a megaphone what? The Book of Mormon. <laughs> Read the Book of Mormon. Everybody's waiting. Yeah, but when does the John Birch Society stuff show up? <laughs> it never did. Just like, read the Book of Mormon. And, and oh, by the way, the, the landmark talk for him, for me, was in 1989 when he gives the landmark talk on pride. One of those really great talks in all of church history was President Benson's talk on pride. This coming from the guy and everybody was expecting something else. Follow the servant. Yeah, yeah, they are. So just do what he says. Okay, okay, that's hard. Okay, now, oh, we got like 20 minutes. Okay, um, he went down, so he goes down, he dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh came up uh, like the flesh of a little child. Okay, now, we hop over here because there's another principle here. Follow his words exactly. Which dip in the river cured Naaman? The seventh one did. You imagine what what does Naaman being human and still struggling with the pride thing? What did Naaman do after the first dip in the river? It's not working. Yeah, it's not working. I still got it. I knew this was stupid. So then he dips the second time. And he's going to come up out of the water and... And he's got to follow through step after step after step. So which dip cleaned him? Seven. Okay. What I keep trying to say to my guys struggling with pornography, which step will clean you? It's the last one. It's the twelfth step. You won't get cleansed by the first two. Because people will start down the road of healing from addiction and they'll say, I got a little bit of results or it's just not working yet. And they'll quit. You've got, I love this thing. thing. You've got to do each step the way the prophet laid it out. And then you'll get cleansed. So we've got to follow. And the first few steps probably won't work very well. So, and so we're gonna. We want to lose faith in what he said. We want to lose faith. We might lose faith. 
We might want to quit. All right. Question on that so far? Does that make sense? Okay. Time remains. Right. We got two more. We got two more principles. <coughs> oh, by the way, yeah. Again, read the read the rest of read the rest of uh, chapter five. It is. I, I love the story of Naaman because because the shorthand is is that Naaman is clean. He he says to Elisha. Uh, can I pay you something? And Elisha says, no. You know, and so Naaman packs up the dirt. He's going to go make an altar and he will actually convert to Jehovah's God when he gets back. On the way out, the servant, Mr. Whiny guy, kind of says, well, that was a wasted opportunity. We should be able to get gold and clothes and stuff out of here. So he tracks Naaman down and goes back and says, yeah, he'll take the gold and the clothes thing. And so then they, he gives the servant the gold and the clothes thing and he comes back and Naaman says where have you been and he says nowhere and he goes wrong you chased him down and you get Naaman's leprosy and your children as well oh which would be a story for another time about how things transfer to our next generation are we going to do that today? no not in 20 minutes okay principle number 5 Prophets can see things that we can't. They are the watchmen on the tower. Why do we build towers? So that we can see afar off. Why do we put somebody in the tower? To watch. And, and someone in the tower is going to see things we can't see. So why would we build towers? We put a watchman in the tower and, and the, the guy in the tower goes, um, here's what's coming. And we go, nah, I think that's his opinion. <laughs> what does he know? He's in the tower. Yeah, but it's just his interpretation of what he's seeing coming. I don't think so. Because I don't necessarily believe it. There's no scientific method going on up there. He's just telling us what he sees. I don't think he really sees by the way, he's really old. Have you noticed that? He's like really old. Maybe he doesn't see as well as he did. He's kind of feeble. He just remembers what things used to be out there when he was a young person like 150 years ago. Did I tell you he's really old? Yeah, okay. Yeah, when I hear thundering hooves, I'll say, well, he should have told me. Well, he did. Well, he should have spoke up louder. He was speaking a little bit softly. And who would blame me for not listening to him? Because he's old, remember? Yeah. <laughs> That's one of the things I love. Did you guys hear it in conference, uh, Elder Ballard? Um, yes, we're old, but we've kind of been around the block a few times. We kind of know what we're doing. I like that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's a little... Or, or it's like he comes out with the, the family proclamation in, in 1995. What? Why do we need a family proclamation? Why do we need to say marriage is between a husband and wife? <laughs> yeah, that's like a dumb moment. <laughs> he's, lo he's losing it. He's throwing up stuff that we already know. Why is that a waste of... Well, was that a waste of time? Marriage is between a husband and wife. Give it 10 years. I give it the 10 year rule. When a prophet says something, I look 10 years and go, what the heck is coming? 
What did he see? And this is one of those moments. Okay? So prophets can see things that we can. So let's go over to 2 Kings 6. Uh, 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 this just makes me laugh. Sometimes you just start reading this stuff and I just giggle. Um, so here's what's happening. The Syrians keep throwing parties down to Israel to raid and do stuff like that. And every time they do it, the Israelites are ready. We keep, they seem to know what we're doing. And it's driving us nuts. They seem to have inside information. And, and ultimately the king goes, nobody knows this much information. There's got to be a rat. There's got to be a spy. And so here's what he's going to do. Wherefore, the heart of the king of Syria was sore troubled for this thing. He called his servants and he said unto them, Will ye not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? Which one of you is the spy? Which one of you, when we make plans, which one of you runs your little self down to Israel to tell him what we're about to do? Which one is the spy? And this is where I believe, this is, someone else suggested this, we don't know this, but I want to believe this is Naaman. Sitting in council here. And one of the servants said, and again, I, my own guess it's Naaman, um, not my Lord, O King, but Elisha, the prophet that is in, is in Israel, telleth the king of Israel the words which thou speaketh in thy bedchamber. The guy in Israel knows what you talk about in your bedroom. There's no spy, there's just a prophet. And he knows everything that you're saying. Even the stuff in your bedroom. Wow. Well, that's, that's why I say, I think it's Naaman, the guy that's got personal experience about what prophets can do. Okay? So, oh, what are we going to do here? Uh, so, uh, he says, okay, uh, verse 13, go and spy on him where he is that I can send and fetch him. Send another raiding party and go get this guy. If he's that good, we want him on our side. At least we want him out of the game. So go spot. Well, he's in Dalton. Okay, go get him. So they're going to send hither horses and chariots and a great host. And they came by night and compassed the city about. Now, this is one of those. If there is favorite moments, I think, in, uh, in the scriptures, this has got to rank one of the all-time great moments in the scriptures. I love this moment. And again, this is one of those times that says... Prophets can see things that we can't. And, number two, prophets want us to come to understand and see what they see. It's no closed shop. They would like us to be in a place that we see what prophets see. Okay, Because we know this story. One of the great stories. And, and when the servant, another servant, uh, it's funny, Elder Holland calls him like the the teacher's quorum president. <laughs> and when the servant of the man of God was risen early and went forth, behold, a host compassed the city with horses and chariots. And the servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? What are we going to do? 
And this great prophet then says, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. Now, to the, to the president of the teacher's quorum, he looks out and what does he see? All he can see is the host of Syria. It's all he can see. And on the surface, it seems impossible. Our calling, by the way, as members of the church, is to make sure that we get everybody who's ever lived uh, baptized and endowed in our temples. How many people have lived on the face of the earth? Oh, man. All kinds of billions, right? Yeah, something like that. Well, that's crazy talk. You're never going to be able to... That's an impossible task. Really? Mormons are nuts. They think they're going to be able to get all this done. It seems impossible. Fear not, they that be with us are more than they that be with them. Now, Elisha, it doesn't matter. In a sense, it really doesn't matter what this servant sees. Because the protection is going to be there regardless. But again, what is Elisha trying to do? What's his purpose? To teach. It's not just be saved at the moment. And it's funny, you're going to find out there's two groups of people he really wants to teach. He wants to teach the servant. He also wants to teach the host of Syria. <laughs> You'll see that one. Okay, He sees the bigger picture. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. Don't you want to see this millennial moment? Be able to call up the, the video of this moment. When this kid or this young servant is trying to say, look at that, and, and Elisha is saying, open his eyes and let him see what I see. And he looks up and he sees the chariots of Israel. Unbelievable moment. Now, I want to finish with uh, two quotes. By the way, the rest of this is a great story. We're not going to necessarily get to it today, but uh, Elisha's going to say to them, he's going he's to smite him with blindness, the host of Syria. He's going to say, follow me, I'll take you home. They follow him and he leads them into Samaria. They wake up, oh my gosh, we're in Samaria. And the king of Israel says, uh, do I smite him? Do I smite him? Verse 21. Should I kill him? Should I kill him now? And he goes, no, feed him. And send him home. He feeds him and sends him home. And it says in verse, the end of verse 23, the bands of Syria came no more into the land of Israel because of the kindness of Elisha to them. So also there was another purpose. Okay? But the bigger purpose is, and the bigger purpose for us is, is recognizing that we don't see what prophets see. And trusting that they see great, they have greater vision than we do. Uh, love this quote from Joseph Smith. I saw Brigham Young standing in a strange land in the far south and west, in a desert place upon a rock in the, mid, 
midst of about a dozen men of color who appeared hostile. He was preaching to them in their own tongue. And I think he had some experiences with uh, Native Americans, and this is probably what he was referring to. He was preaching to them in their own tongue. And the angel of God standing above his head, his head, uh, with a drawn sword in his hand, protecting him, and Brigham did not see it. Wow. How many times might you be in the middle of trying to teach a young women's class? Or teach a primary class? Or trying to teach in some place, and it just is not going well? And it could be that there's an angel of the Lord standing behind you, ready to help. How many times are we sending our missionaries out? I've got a a mom who's sending out a missionary very soon, and she's just so concerned because sometimes missionaries die in the field these days. And she's so afraid that she'll never see him again. And we forget that there are angels with swords standing to protect those that need to be protected. Now, let me finish with uh, th- this, this whole experience is actually referenced in one of, I think, Elder Holland's greatest talks when he was president of BYU called In Times of Trouble. And if you look in uh, uh, BYU speeches and find this talk by Elder Holland called In Times of Trouble, and he talks about this experience. It's one that I hand out to some of my clients uh, in my office. I just think it's such a tremendous talk. But let me quote, kind of in closing here, so that we know principle six: uh, the prophet is not alone, and neither are we. That's the final principle: the prophet is not alone, and neither are we. Okay, so here is. Here's Elder Holland. In the gospel of Jesus Christ, you have help from both sides of the veil, and you must never forget that. When disappointment and discouragement strike, and they will, you remember and never forget that if our eyes could be opened, we would see the horses and chariots of fire as far as the eye can see, riding at reckless speed to come to our protection. They will always be there, these armies of heaven, in defense of Abraham's seed. Brothers and sisters, we be Abraham's seed. We are being asked to do a great work that is oftentimes beyond our ability and power to do that. The armies of the world are arrayed against us, not so much always with swords and spears, but with words and movies and, and mocking and attacks on ourselves and our families and those to whom we serve. And it will oftentimes feel overwhelming. Satan is at his very best these days, and he has so many ways to attack us and hedge up the way and it feels overwhelming. That's why I love these words. When disappointment and discouragement strike and they will, you remember and never forget that if our eyes could be opened, 
we would see horses and chariots of fire as far as the eye can see riding at reckless speed to come to our protection. They will always be there, these armies of heaven, in defense of Abraham's seed. We just have to remember who we are and whose errand we're about and that we're not alone. And it may seem like on this side of the veil that we're over, overwhelmed and outnumbered. And he says, no, you just need, need to realize that the hosts of heaven stand behind you. Generation of generation of saints who have passed on stand behind you. And I believe in a very, very personal way that in your lives and in the lives of your family that you have generations of your own family members, whether they're parents that have passed on, grandparents that have passed on, aunts, uncles, your family stands behind you literally to help guide you and teach you and bear you up. Sometimes you'll sense it at sacred moments in the temple or when you're praying or doing genealogy. Most of the time I think our eyes are blind and we don't see them, but they are there. And they love you and they love your children and they love the people that you're called to serve. I believe, for instance, if you are teaching, uh, for instance, a primary class, not, you are not just teaching children, but standing behind you are those children's grandparents, great-grandparents, and uncles that want you to be able and will inspire you to teach Abraham's seed. It's how it works. And one day on the other side, we're going to find out just how involved these people were in our lives and how thin the veil was at so many moments to help us with impossible tasks. They will come at reckless speed in defense of Abraham's seed. And I leave that with you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. the gift of the scriptures, for the gift of the prophets on the earth, for the gift of the atonement, and for the Savior Jesus Christ, we are thankful that we have all these resources available to us to help us understand the nature of the, and understand our divine potential, and what we can do to be the very best that we can be and strengthen our testimonies. We pray for the Spirit to sustain us as we go throughout this day in taking care of our families and our callings and our responsibilities. And these things we pray in the name of thy son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.